So today's, uh, today's text is another in a series of uh, eight psalms that were written by David when he was fleeing from King Saul. And, and just like last week, it begins with a superscription telling us the exact occasion that inspired its writing. And, and I wish we had uh, time to really share the whole story with you like I did last time, uh, because this is another really larger-than-life account of one of the Bible's most renowned protagonists, and it's filled with adventure and political infighting, power struggles, and a plot twist that grows out of David's epic quest to overthrow an evil king with the sword of a real-life giant. Are you intrigued? Yeah. Well, you'll have to read the whole thing for yourself later this afternoon. Uh, from 1 Samuel 22, but I'm going to give you just the, the Reader's Digest uh, version so you get some context. So c- kind of use your sacred imagination and picture this with me. Uh, David's on the run. He's an escapee from the royal court of King Saul. Uh, but in his haste to escape, David hadn't packed enough supplies, so he has to stop for food. And he stops at the priestly city of Nob where the portable tabernacle had been set up. And when David arrived there, there's a man named Ahimelech that's the high priest on duty. And so David asked Ahimelech for some bread. But the caveat is there wasn't any food around that hadn't already been dedicated to God as a special offering. And so it could only be eaten by Ahimelech and his fellow priests. So what was he going to do? Well, incredibly, in a historic and unprecedented act of mercy... Actually, one of which our Lord Jesus will later use as a sermon illustration. Ahimelech actually gave David the loaves of consecrated bread that sit on the gold-covered table in the holy place. This is a really big deal. But after receiving that, it turns out that food wasn't David's only need. Turns out he also needed a weapon. Uh, Because like those extra rations that he had left home without... He also didn't come with uh, a sword or a spear or anything else. And so uh, he asked the priest in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 8, he says, uh, Have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me. And in God's providence, there's a weapon there. And we're told that lying inside the sanctuary, hidden in the back of the closet where the high priest kept his uh, sacred vestments, was the sword of the giant Goliath himself. The, the actual sword that David had won in battle when he was a teenager and had used to cut off the head of Goliath. And I love last night, J.J. said, you didn't teach that part in Good News Club. <laughs> right? But the, the, the actual sword that David had used to cut off the head of the giant, now he ultimately had left it behind because at the time it was way too big for him to handle on a regular basis, but now uh, he's reunited with it as a reminder of God's faithfulness in the past and of the promise of God to help him defeat whatever giants or gigantic problems he might face in the future. And you know, it's right at this point in the story, kind of where everything seems to be going right with the world, right at this moment that nestled in the text like a little snake in a garden are these foreboding words from 1 Samuel 21, 7. And we read now a certain... A man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief shepherd of Saul's herdsmen. And now this guy, 
uh, Doeg, he's really a man who would rate as one of the most, uh, probably the most despicable characters in Scripture. He's mentioned only in four verses, uh, two in, in the first book of Samuel and then uh, maybe three, three more in the next chapter. And those verses tell us that, that Doeg was watching this whole exchange between David and Ahimelech. And then he kind of takes that information and he tucks it away uh, so that, as you might guess, when the opportunity comes for him to polish his own apple, uh, he can report this incident to his master, Saul. And so he basically goes to King Saul and says, I saw the whole thing. But you know what? He didn't tell the whole truth when he told that tale. Instead, Doeg used this half-truth testimony to make himself look good while vilifying those priests that had helped David uh, and making them look like co-conspirators to take the throne for David from King Saul. Uh, and at that point in the story, that was all it took. That was all it took to send Saul over the edge. And so he commands the priest to come to where he's encamped with his army. Uh, and even though they explained their innocence, uh, the facts really didn't have any impact on Saul's jealousy by that point. And so he orders his soldiers to kill all of them, kill all the priests. Now, to their, their credit, they refuse because they recognized it was sinful to raise their hands against God's anointed servants. And so the king turns to this man, Doeg, and here's what he says. He said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. In other words, 85 priests who, who wore sacred vestments. Uh, and he was only too happy to oblige. And so not only did he do that, uh, we're told, and nod the city of the priests, he put it to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. And this whole uh, episode ends when one single priest, the son of Ahimelech, escaped to report the slaughter to King David, who soberly replied, I knew it. I knew it. He said, when I saw Doeg the Edomite there that day, I knew he was sure to tell Saul. And now I have caused the death of all your father's family. And so it's this horrific scene that you really have to read in full to get the full gist of it. But it's what compels David to pen the psalm we're going to look at today, Psalm 52. And it's almost as if he's addressing it to Doeg after this experience. So if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to turn to Psalm 52 and read along with me. And of course, the superscription is to the choir master, a masquil of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. And so David writes in verse 1, almost addressing uh, this evil man, he says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all the words that devour, old deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He'll snatch and tear you from your tent, and he will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But David says, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. 
I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. It's the word of the Lord. You know, I said uh, this psalm recounts for us David's divinely inspired response to one of the darkest events that he had ever experienced. And we know he had experienced some pretty dark events in his life, right? But you know, to his credit, he always knew where to turn. And that was always to the house of the Lord. And I suppose, you know, maybe in going through the sermon, I could be accused of reading between the lines here. But I think when he showed up at the tabernacle, whether it was consciously or under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he was really looking for more than bread and sword blades. Because honestly, there were plenty of other places, probably way better places to round up those kinds of things. But I think his coming to the house of the Lord was for a very different purpose. He really needed to be reassured again of God's providence uh, and of his protection because as we talked about at this point, remember David's being chased aggressively by Saul who was intent on killing him. Uh, and so in taking him to Nod and taking him to the, the, the sanctuary of the tabernacle, God brought him face to face with his victory in the past so that he could uh, encourage him to face what he was going to face now in the present. And one commentator said on this, a remembered blessing is a boost of strength. I really like that line. A remembered blessing is a boost of strength. And I think David was encouraged for seeing that sword of Goliath because when he saw it, it would have called to his mind that if God could empower him to kill Goliath, then who was this Saul guy that was chasing him? Right? Who was Saul that he should be afraid of him? If God could subdue a giant before him, then Saul was nothing before God. And it should be equally true for us. Because, you know, when we count our blessings, as the song goes, when we name them one by one, when we fall back on God's past deeds, our faith draws strength for what we have to face today. And not just that, but hope for the future. And the house of God is the best place to do that. The one author said of this within... This text is the example of a very key wisdom as to how to move the people of God forward in their moments of challenges. He said the sword of Goliath uh, was wrapped and kept behind the priestly vestments in the tabernacle for safekeeping, and its presence reminded every worshiper of God's ability to save from the mighty. Because it suggested God's goodness and his power and his sovereignty so that when a man would come to the priest and say to him, there's a Goliath troubling my life. All the priest had to do was pull out the sword of Goliath and show him the giant that David slew with God's hand. And we should be doing the same thing. We need to proclaim and to record and to remember God's awesome deeds in this house. And by the way, just parenthetically here, that's another good reason to come to our Wednesday night prayer time before Bible study. You see how I slipped that in there? Because we encourage the public testimony of God's deliverance and his protection and his provision and his salvation that points to what God has done and not to ourselves. Because, you know, that's the first accusation David made against Doeg in the psalm, right? Uh, was for not doing that. He says, why do you boast of evil, almighty man? And I almost think he was being sarcastic there, right? Almighty, yeah, how mighty are you compared to God? But that's what the wicked do, right? 
in contrast to the people of God. That's the nature of the wicked. They're proud of themselves. They get smug. They're convinced of their own talents and abilities. They're absorbed with their own cleverness until eventually it dulls their minds while it sharpens their tongues. Have you noticed that? That's why David wrote, Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you deceitful worker. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. And you know, whether you know it or not, our tongues are powerful. They're very powerful, either to help others or to hurt others. Like we read in the book of James who said, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, and set on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a relentless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And you know, when I read that, it kind of reminded me uh, I've asked you before, you guys who, who remember Zig Ziglar, when he used to say that some folks point out faults like there's a reward for finding them, right? Uh, because just like the sword of Goliath could elicit confidence and faith, you know, the sword of the tongue can cut the opposite way. Uh, because, you know, inside each of our mouths lies one of the most dangerous concealed weapons ever used by mankind. It's destroyed friends, families, churches, uh, people of every race and nation. And it's amazing because it's, it's such a tiny blade, but it can make such a wicked wound. And so thankfully, the promise of today's psalm is that for the people of God, that wound is only going to be temporary. But for the doegs of this world, it will ultimately lead them to their own destruction. And so they're warned by David, but God will break you down forever. He'll snatch and tear you from your tent. He'll uproot you from the land of the living. And so David proclaims that the end of the wicked and their razor-sharp tongue is total ruin. But, you know, David's not spending all his time here just gloating over the end results of the wicked in this world. Uh, he wants us believers to take a lesson from this, too. Uh, and those of you that, that come to Bible study, I've, I've said this several times, but, you know, we as Christians uh, can't go around thumping other people over the heads with our Bibles uh, like it's a weapon. Instead, we really need to be using it as a mirror. We need to be using it as a mirror to examine ourselves, to make sure we're on the right path, uh, and that we're growing, and that we're developing in all the fruits of the Spirit, like love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. Uh, even as we watch what happens to the lives of those who practice evil and see that that kind of lifestyle is not for us. But as David said, the righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. And I love this part, sought refuge in his own destruction. Right? See, David, in contrast to trusting in his own cleverness, 
his own wiles, his own tongue, his own schemes. He trusted in God. But Doeg trusted in himself and in the earthly power of King Saul. But David tells us his hope is in God. And in fact, in this uh, passage, one commentator said of, of Doeg that it seems this is a picture of his uh, funeral eulogy as everyone standing around noticing that the deceased trusted in his cash and his connections, but he's still dead. Right? And I would just add to that, not just physically dead, but spiritually dead too, because if you remember when you read in the book of Revelation, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And you may not be uh, super familiar with that verse, but uh, in all of Scripture really confirms that to us that in the final analysis, you're either born twice and die once, or you're born once and die twice. And, and it's very simple if you think about it, meaning, uh, you know, if you're born, if, you, uh, if you're born again, if you've experienced that second birth by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you only have to endure the singular experience of physical death and then you'll live forever in the blessedness of God's kingdom. But if you're only born once, if you're just born one time into the world of humanity, and you're never born again by the Holy Spirit of God, you'll experience not only the death of the physical body, but you'll experience the second living death of eternal punishment in hell. Because death is not the end of the story. It wasn't the end of the story for Doeg, or for David, or for Goliath. It's not the end of the story for you, and it's not the end of the story for me. It's just that the final destination is going to be different. That's why David says, but for me, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. And you know, if you think about it, those words share a lot of imagery with psalms we've already looked at, like Psalm 1, when we read the righteous are like a tree planted by the waters. Or the 23rd Psalm when David says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David pictures the righteous. He pictures those in Christ standing tall and standing strong with God, enduring whatever storms come into their lives. And he's saying not only are the righteous strong, but they're fruitful and they're flourishing, that the righteous are growing, that they're growing into an ever-increasing harvest of all of those fruits of the Spirit that we talked about so that we can look back over our lives uh, and say, am I seeing more fruit in my life than I did a year ago? Am I seeing more fruit in my life than I did five years ago? Am I seeing more fruit in my, in my life than I did 20 years ago? Because we're not just pictured in Psalm 52 as a, a stunted little trunk of a tree, but as a lively green olive tree and one that's carefully cultivated and, and cared for and permanently planted in the house of God so that we may be, as the King James Version says, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And, you know, I, I know Pam has a lot of plants. I've, I've got several of my own, but I've never planted an olive tree. Have, have you grown olive? You have? Anybody else grown olive trees? Right? Well, I understand, and you, and you can correct me on this, uh, they're used for tons of things besides just food. Right? Uh, and if they're healthy, olive trees are really long-lived. And I, I actually read they can have a life expectancy near a thousand years. And the ability to actively produce fruit for hundreds of those years. Uh, the leaves can be used to treat uh, high blood pressure, diabetes. And, and of course the oil uh, has been associated with everything from cooking to anointing priests and, and kings. But I think more importantly are the roots of the olive tree. 
You know, those roots go down deep. They usually go about uh, in, in outside, if they're not in a pot, they go down about 20 feet below the ground. And that's the reason that they're able to bear fruit for as long as they do and why olive trees can withstand uh, storms and, and strong winds. It's because of their strong foundation underneath. But can we say the same thing? Can we say the same thing? How, how deep do our roots go into the house of God? How deep do they go into his word? Uh, and the righteous here, they're, they're pictured as being near God and pictured as being members of his family. But by implication, David's saying the wicked, they're none of those things. But that we need to continue to believe that God is with us and that he cares about us. And that he'll never abandon us and that he's working out everything, not only to his glory in this world, but in the next. Uh, which is the idea that, that David closes the song with. He says, I'll, I'll thank you forever because you have done it. Because you see, David reveals here that in the final analysis, we know that we can lean on the Lord and that he's also learned the secret of salvation that a lot of Christians still don't grasp. And that is the source and the nature of salvation is the work of God. Uh, it's something he does. It's the free gift of God to humanity by grace through faith, completely aside from human works. As God tells us uh, in Ephesians, he says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that together, together we can pray as the family of God that last line of Psalm 52, Lord, I will wait for your name for its good. And in the presence here of the godly, Lord, we're going to give you praise. Amen? Let's pray together.